0: Hi, this is part six of the Tokyo Jazz Joint's Five Days in June series. We hope you enjoy it. Day four. Are we at day four already? Yes. I mean, it's it's funny because when you think day four of a five-day trip, you think, well... I mean that's that's where we're kind of nearing the end, but in some ways, really, we were only just get getting going, weren't we? Because I think oh, probably yes. day four and five were the most intense. Of
1: well, a hundred percent. You know, day four we wake up at the lovely if forgotten nest. Um, I don't recall having any breakfast. I'm sure that I had a coffee somewhere. Um, we we ran. I know. I remember we ran to the car because um, I think you you had a parking spot that. Was only until eight a.m. and if you even you know it was one of those automated places, so it's not even like you could just you know give the guy a ticket. Like it would just click in and like charge you another three a thousand yen or something if you went past eight o'clock. So we ran to the car, got in just in time, and uh, and we hit the road, and we went from Kumamoto, which is sort of in the uh, central west of Kyushu Island. And we headed northeast into the mountains, and uh, we were going into a prefecture called Oitaken. And Oitaken is very well known um, as being a hot springs uh, heaven. There are probably more than a hundred hot springs resorts spread around the mountains. Um, It's a very beautiful place. Uh, People definitely go there on vacation from all around Japan. But we were driving way out into the mountains. Uh, You mentioned it earlier towards Mount Aso uh, to go to a place called Woodside Basie. And uh, Woodside Basie, you know, it's strange. You had found this one. Um, I had not heard of this place and didn't know what to expect when we got there. Um, and, you know, what what can you say about the approach up to Woodside Basin? We often talk about some of our urban places being in the middle of nowhere, but they're still in a city. It's just a neighborhood you probably wouldn't know very well. But this was literally in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it's in the middle of the country.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, a very good friend of mine, his wife is from Kumamoto, and they had no... Idea that this place even existed, and <laughs> we were not prepared for it. It's actually part of a national park, so uh, the 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 big geographical draw there for tourists is Mount Aso, and it's bang, as you say, bang in the middle uh, of that north part of Kyushu Island, um, in between Kumamoto and Oita, and um, it's listed on Google Maps as, as a as a national park. So, you know, that already gives you an idea of the drive. So we're not at this point, trolling through these kind of, uh, you know, dimly lit alleys that remind you of the Showa period to find these little pokey jazz joints. We're on this open road. We're surrounded by uh, greenery and mountains. Uh, And again, I think Woodside Basie was a place that we had just had nothing else than a name and a location and and turned up kind of on the, you know, just taking a chance to see what it would be like. And it's got to be... It's it's far and away the most beautiful location for any jazz place, possibly in the world, but certainly any place that we've been to in Japan. I mean, it is stunning.
1: Oh, absolutely stunning, um, both outside and inside. I mean, um, it is a very large house that uh, the owner is uh, Mr. Suda. And Mr. Suda-san, he, I, I think it made pretty, it made a lot of sense after I got the story. He used to work for NHK, which is the national broadcaster of Japan. That's right. I, I think he was a rather high-level person um, in NHK Kyushu. He retired in 2006, so it would have been 12 years before we visited. And then he opened this, this amazing space, Woodside Basie, in his house. So that building that that structure you're seeing there is actually where he lives with his wife. And but the whole interior of the first floor, and you can kind of get a feel for how high the ceiling is there from one of the pictures you took, is this big, big room just with like rows of chairs, the kind of chairs that you would see in a a sort of a, uh, you know, like a uh, a school assembly hall facing the speakers and a slight little stage there. And you can see in between the speakers, you see those sort of like music stands that say Woodside Basie. Well, he hosted uh, the Count Basie Big Band. You know, the Count Basie big band still tours around. Obviously, the Count left us many years ago, but they still do tours, especially in Japan. And he hosted them down there, and he hosts other bands, big bands, uh, that play locally in Kyushu. So he's a big uh, big swing and big band fan. But he created this entire room, uh, on, basically on his own, all the sound system. I mean, it was obviously a big hobby of his. And um, look, at, you can see from some of the equipment that he has there that, you know, this it's more than just a casual hobby. He's an audio guy. Um, And he's got, again, of course, needless to say, thousands of records.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've talked uh, about Basie ad nauseum on this podcast, but of course, we're talking about the famous Basie up north. Uh, This one, you know, shares that name. And Woodside's not an exaggeration. I mean, just to the left of that Mm, is a forest. mm, Um, mm. You can hear uh, waterfalls, and that's not an exaggeration, from the the parking lot you can hear... (laughs) Waterfalls, and all around you is this beautiful mountain scenery. And then, of course, you go inside and uh, and get ready for it. The word is beams. So there's these beautiful, uh all these wrought beams inside, you know, made from local wood. Uh, and then this enormous, enormous space. And of course, you can see the classic big band stands uh, for the music stands that he's made, uh, all with his own branding on it, of course. And there's enough space in there. Uh, definitely to have big band concerts uh, f- oh, without a sure. doubt and then for of course sure. yeah. there's that incredible sound system and one of my memories from that day in particular James was uh, popping on those branded slippers which is probably the only yes. time we've come across that in any yes. jazz place we have yes. put on
1: slippers before but never uh, branded no, and then no. and, um, you know I mean he was such a nice guy I and I just didn't want to be you know it'd be so obvious if he was missing a pair that would have been one of those two pushy Uh, western dudes who came in and stole it because you know i i was i was contemplating asking him to buy a pair and then i thought you know we 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 know how it works here in japan he would have done the whole oh no 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 yeah let me give you as a present you know but he probably thinking inside like shit you know i paid a lot of money for these and Mm. i can't afford to i need these because he hosts gigs where he's got 20 30 people in the band you know plus 40 or 50 people sitting in this gigantic room and uh and so he needs those slippers so you know i didn't want to push it but god i really wanted a pair of those i mean that was that was so hip yeah what a what a wonderful wonderful place and you know um for the millionth time um only in japan i mean i I just couldn't imagine finding a place like this anywhere else in the middle of a forest well all all the
0: furniture as well was all handmade from wood um and uh, it was really nice because we just had one of those beautiful meditative moments, you know, which on this trip you didn't necessarily always get because there was, so, you know, always a slight undercurrent of, of you know, schedule and, and sometimes a bit frantic and trying to, to make these kind of like, uh, you know, uh, key points across the day and, and make sure that we saw everything that we'd planned to do. But we did have the opportunity there just to sit and have a coffee. And I remember he put the the speaker system on to, to really demonstrate the volume. On,
1: he put and on a just Woody sat Shaw in, album. In front of
0: the speakers and we yes. just chilled out for like, you know, half yes. an hour and it was just a beautiful, beautiful uh, experience. Like
1: He put on a Woody Shaw album. That's um, it, yeah. And, and I remember just listening to it and, and thinking, looking out the window into this greenery and thinking like, man, I mean, I've, I've never had this experience before. Never. You know, because of every every single other jazz place we'd been to had been pretty much urban. Um, and even if it was slightly rural, it didn't have this setting. It didn't have that space and it didn't have that view. So uh, that was a just one-of-a-kind experience. And I believe that he is still open. Um, I don't, obviously not gigs going on at the moment here in Japan, but, um, definitely still open. And, uh, I would say for sure, a highlight of any trip to Kyushu. And since people do go that direction to head to that, that forest area, uh, and head to Ken and Beppu, uh, for the hot springs, um, it would be a place that, you know, if, if you are listening to this, uh, you would want to stop by there hundred percent.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's just an astonishing Astonishing place, and then you know once we'd um, we'd moved on there, he came outside, saw us off. You can see that from the the photograph I, I the rather unsmiling uh, portrait I got of him. Um, uh, you can see your butt there just sticking out in the reflection as well. Of course, <laughs> uh, just keeping up the old uh, Where's Wally appearance, um, and then we jumped back in the car and headed. Uh, I wouldn't say for an urban area, but we headed to a town and uh, the place that we were looking for, and we, I remember probably both of us were rather sneering about this because we thought almost that we'd maybe misread the Katakana in some way, but in actual fact, we hadn't. And the name of this place... Uh, if you can believe it, it was fun cool that's f u n c o o l that's not my accent. it was literally called fun cool, so probably safe to say that our expectations for this place uh were pretty low, weren't they
1: well, yeah i mean yeah yeah i would i would say so and and yet, um, as always, you know, we thought, okay, we'll give it a shot, we drove by. Unfortunately, a couple things happened. Um, so the first was, and, and you can see there's only one picture there. We did not get in. Um, there was literally nothing on that street. I mean, you can see that those shutters were down not because the places were shut for the day. It was because those shops were empty. Uh, a problem that we've talked about before here, Philip, how so many cities in, in around Japan have seen depopulation and there are a lot of empty storefronts and you know long forgotten shopping streets all around the country. So fun, cool, a bit of a mystery. So you can see that the the shutters are down, but the one where the stairs are is only about, you know, two-thirds down. So, of course, I I jumped out of the car, popped my head in, shouted upstairs, um, and got nothing. We came back out, you know, we're like, okay, we've got a little bit of time, made a phone call, and unbelievably, the guy picks up the phone, and he's in the hospital. He answers his cell phone from the hospital bed, and says, "I'm very sorry. Uh, you know, my health is unwell. I'm in the hospital. I, I, the shop is not open today." And so, I think I was. I was kind of just like at a loss for what to say because I just—that's the last thing I expected. You know, if somebody picked up the phone, they would—they would answer from their hospital bed. So I just said, "Oh, you know, I'm very sorry to hear that." I tried to just go real polite Japanese, and uh, I said, "Okay, we'll 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 try to call you again another time." You know, something stupid like that. So you know, and I—I I think you did snap a picture of me on the phone while I'm standing out there, probably looking rather confused and perplexed. Yeah,
0: I mean, like as this sort of tragedy was unfolding outside the car, I was inside the car, you know, just cracking up laughing because you you were just wandering up and down the street with your hands on your hips, looking really confused. And then I was sort of wondering, will he sneak under the shutter and go upstairs? Because we were confused, <laughs> and rightly so, I suppose, because it wasn't that it was completely closed. The shutter was ajar, and it seemed like there was something, you know, like mm. a, a, upstairs, obviously, so... Uh, we did toy with the idea of going up and and seeing if we could figure it out, but I would imagine if there had been anyone up there, you, they'd have got quite a shock <laughs> if they'd opened the door and discovered you standing outside. And you're right to say, you know, this place that it's actually called Yanagawa. This it's listed as a city, but it's not a city in the sense that most of the listeners I think would imagine it. You know, a very uh, had a very run down sort of um, decimated mm. feel to it. If you look at the description on Google, it's described as. Uh, A place being famous for its many canals, which are navigated on small boats. It's also (laughs) the century-old villa of the Tachibana family, which overlooks a garden with hundreds of pine trees arranged around a rock-filled pond. But probably what we remember is just these kind of streets, uh, fairly anonymous streets, with Mm -hmm. uh, poorly marked shops or just businesses that had closed. And...
1: You know, with no shade, uh, no. blistering sun. Yeah. Um. You know, the heat bouncing off the concrete, and and you know, the middle of a day on a Monday, and there's just nothing happening. Um. It's only you know, it's funny. It says it's 40 kilometers south of Fukuoka, which is a major metropolis, but it it feels a lot more distant. It feels like a town that's that time has has definitely passed, and um. Oh, okay, Phillips, more breaking news, but this time some good breaking news. I'm happy Happy we can be positive for a change. Go on, then. Um, so, well, actually slightly sad. Uh, the owner of Phone Cool, obviously his health was very poor. He was in the hospital. Um, he passed away about a year after we visited in 2019. However, his wife uh, has taken over the shop uh, and has kept it open, and I saw it. Absolutely lovely, lovely thing uh, on a Japanese blog where she put a sign um, up on the counter that says, uh, translated from Japanese to English, it's, I don't know about jazz, but I will continue to open the shop. Please keep coming. Which is just a, such a sweet and, and kind and, and very sort of like Japanese, humble shopkeeper way of doing it. You know, begging the customer to please understand her lack of knowledge of the music. Um, just, just you know, yeah, totally adorable. And I, I so hope that, um, that I can go back. Now, this blog had said that the wife was quite a bit younger than her husband. Uh, we don't have a picture of him. The picture of her is not young. I would estimate she's got to be mid-70s. So um, that would mean the guy that we spoke to on the phone was probably in his mid to late 80s at the time. Um, it seems that Funko had been open for a very long time, been open for 50 years. So it it would have been when a time when that street in Yanagawa was probably very thriving, you know, in in the post-war period and leading up to the bubble years. And then slowly, 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 you know, uh, it kind of faded away, but he kept the bar open. And it's just great that she was able to take it over.
0: And surely that sign was more more recent, though, that uh, neon sign that wasn't switched on at the time. But just looking at that, that's got to be a more... Uh, recent addition to the to the shop front, I'm sure, but uh, it was the first of the of two fairly mysterious places, actually, because, again, you know, like we say, Yanagawa is this fairly anonymous city uh, on over on this coast, uh, you know, in between Kumamoto and, and Fukuoka, I suppose, but yet, even in a small place like that, there were actually two uh, jazz places. In fact, there were three actually that we had on the list to go visit, um, and the second of these took us a very, very long time to find, didn't it? Because (laughs) Google Maps was taking us up and down and up Uh, and down the same street and we simply could not figure out why. There was no visible, physical... Evidence of this place existing. And of course, when we finally parked, uh, we stopped outside a Japanese ryokan, uh, which is a kind of a, a Japanese style bed and breakfast place. Oh, I well, like a, it's
1: a, yeah, it's a, it's a minshiku. Yeah. A minshiku is more like a family. Was home. it minshiku? A B- okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was a minshiku. It's like a, a, a Rokan is a little fancier. A minshiku is more like a BNB. Yeah. It's a family run thing. But you're, you're forgetting, Philip. Like we couldn't, we couldn't find it. We couldn't find it. And so we called and the lady answered and she said oh i'm shopping at the moment that's just right, wait yeah. there and we were like wait wait there wait where and and we told her where we were and, I, and we were like yeah it looks like this kind of like little minshuku hotel and she's like yes 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 that's it and so we were completely confused because you can kind of see in the reflection of the first picture where those cars are parked it's it's you know it's it's a good 20 30 feet away we didn't see the tiny, tiny, tiny sign next to the door that says Groovy. I mean, you can barely see it, you yeah. know, uh, if you're standing where the car park is. So Groovy is actually a, I mean, would you even call this place a cafe? I, I don't, I I just think it's the the public space of the b It's mean, hard
0: to know, isn't it? I mean, we sat in the car after speaking to this lady who, you know, came rushing back from her <laughs> shopping trip uh, because I, I'm guessing it's the first time you know, potentially ever anyone has called to be like, why is the jazz place not open? Um, <laughs> Un- and,
1: unquestionably, the first time that's happened, and and without question, also the first time any two foreign people would have done that.
0: Yeah, so. and so then you know she came back, uh, went inside, brought us in, um, explained uh, the situation, got her father, and was like, "There's two guys here looking to open the jazz place," <laughs> and uh, yeah, opened it up. And you can see actually from the second photograph, you know, the Chu, the business, uh mm-hmm. where open sign is is out on the door uh and yeah we went in there it was clearly you know they felt very obliged to to offer us some sort of refreshment we weren't really bothered either way but there was this slight well we have to give them something and clearly there hadn't been any uh drinks made for for a fair few days
1: um no and i i don't because you know you know again the town seems so sleepy how often do they have um any any guests in the guest rooms? The the guy, the old fellow, was in there, but do you remember what he was doing? He was um, making a youtube playlist of jazz videos <laughs> it forgotten was that. awesome yeah he had his computer <laughs> right. up there on the counter and he was making he right. switched the the screens up to the tv and he was making a, a an actual playlist of like you know whatever like 1965 newport footage or something you know and um and I, it was clear that like he'd been making a lot a lot of playlists because i i happened to look at it so you know i would imagine he's you know he's long retired That's how he spends his days. And occasionally he gets two strange foreign guys coming in (laughs) asking questions. Um, Now, the, the actual little inn has been there for a long time. Um, it's been there for over 50 years. Uh, the guy's name is Uchiyama San, that was his daughter. Um, don't know if he had had another job before that. We'd probably assume that he did that maybe that was the usually that that's like the family home and he might have been like a, a salary man or something yeah. until he retired. but um, there was one other uh, thing and and you did get it there in the background of your portrait of him. Do you remember when we were talking and I said, oh, you got a, you got like a keyboard over there? And he said, oh yeah, I've got a Fender Roads. And well, we were like, what? Yeah, you have a Fender yeah. Rhodes in here? Like, uh, And this picture w- is why? quite misleading
0: actually, <laughs> because when he mentioned this, uh, at the time it was completely covered with uh, stuff there was a, a yes. piece of material over it it had things sitting on top of it and it was only when we showed how interested we were that you know they started to clear the top of this keyboard so it obviously hadn't seen the light of day for quite some time uh, oh, and he flipped oh, up the a lid long time. and yes. uh, we got to yes. have it. unfortunately neither of us were musicians so we weren't able to do much on it but um, you know we, we had a little noodle around on it and uh, what an incredible thing just to, to again just you know, produce uh, for a couple of random people who happen to turn up on a on a Monday morning
1: <laughs> well, he said that he wasn't I, th- I think he had said he wasn't sure it would even power up, yeah because yeah, it yeah. had been it had been at least i think a couple of years was what he said, which probably meant more like five, yeah um since since she had plugged it in so you know to and yeah i mean not only was it covered with that big sort of cloth it had stuff like on it you know i mean it was definitely like you know books or a vase or whatever so they had to clear all of that up you know plug it in hopefully get the power going and then and then you were able to get the picture
0: yeah So after that discovery, um, amazingly, despite what we said previously about Yanagawa, there was actually a third place that we needed to go and have a look for. Um, Again, we couldn't quite get a a handle on the name. It was described or written as Coffee FM Yanagawa. And we did actually, in the end, discover it. I also have another one in a very short series, James, of you standing outside shutters looking for places that are closed. And actually, I've got a video of you asking the business next door. And I don't remember what they said to you, but do you remember? Yeah,
1: I do. I do, because the guy, you know, as usual, he, he was... I, I, I don't even think it was more the fact that we were not Japanese. It was more like... You're asking about that place? Like you got you're in a car and you drove here to come get coffee at that I mean, this was a very (laughs) tiny street as you could see. And I think he was kind of doing some some sort of repair work in the shop there, if I remember correctly. And uh uh, yeah, he basically just said something like, oh, no, no, no they're still open. Um, but, you know, they're they're often closed um, on a Monday, on a Sunday and Monday. So, you know, sometimes they're there, sometimes they're not there. Some, some answer like that. And he was like, you know, maybe you could wait around. I mean, they might be in, but, uh, you know, I see them at different times. And we were like, oh, look, I mean, that's too you know, if they're not answering the phone, we can't be waiting around here for an hour. I completely forgot about that FF. Yeah, <laughs> it's just...
0: so we had, I mean, we had a fair bit to do that day and, and we had this plan. So on the map, you know, if you look, uh, we go from Yanagawa, we're heading sort of northeast towards Fukuoka, which is our final destination on day four, uh, where we have another lovely hotel booked by me called the um, Hotel Honkan yeah, we'll come to that, Heiwa Dai Kong? Anyway, uh, before that, we head sort of a little bit west and slightly off. I suppose we were going in a little bit of a roundabout way, but we headed off to Saga because we knew that, again, there was at least three places there. Um, and so we were heading towards um, uh, Saga. Now, when we got to Saga, I mean, I don't want to sort of overdo it, James, but... It's a reasonable-sized city, but it was probably one of the most depressing places we've been in Japan, wouldn't you say?
1: <laughs> and that's counting I mean, a lot, because we spent a lot of time... I'm not going to get a job in,
0: working for the Saga Tourist Board, but still. We spent a lot
1: of time in Saitama, uh, but yeah, um, Saga, Saga City, Saga Prefecture itself is quite large. And if you go to the southern part, which takes you the peninsula down towards uh, where eventually you get to Sasebo and Nagasaki... Um, There's a lot of, whether it's nature um, or the port towns and the islands, there's definitely a lot of appeal down there. Um, Saga City, the prefectural capital, is is flat. Um, It is gray, concrete. Um, It's surprisingly empty. I mean, this is the capital of a prefecture in Japan, and we were there in the middle of the day. And there's, just On like, Monday. and there's just like nobody and it wasn't a holiday either. I mean, there was just nobody around. And, um, you know, I mean, basically if you, if you have a quick look at saga City's uh, Wikipedia page, I think you'll get an idea because there's one picture and it's of the very brutalist saga city hall <laughs> building. So it sort of tells you like what to expect from this place. So, you know, you know, Besides the jazz, not a lot of appeal, especially for us. Um, so we're driving around there, and we just run into... You know, it's strange, Philip, because we're on day four, and this was really the first extended bout of bad luck that we had. So we, we, we find yeah. that three places in a row um, we can't get into. Uh, the first that we were looking for was a place with the unbelievably cool name of Cinematech. So it's a, another one of these sort of film and jazz bars, similar to to one of our favorites, the Eiga in Tokyo, which we've talked about many times. Um, Cinematech, I've read about it online. i uh, seen all the Japanese bloggers who've talked about it. They even host some gigs now and then, and closed on Sundays usually. So we're, we're quite confident. We're like, okay, great, we're gonna we're gonna drop by on uh, you know Monday afternoon, and we show up and nobody's there. Lights are off, curtains are drawn completely closed. The building itself looked really nice. Uh, it was kind of this like a hybrid house plus cafe that they had remodeled. I don't know if you got any good pictures of the exterior. But, Weirdly, um, I
0: didn't get any pictures of it, actually, which is really frustrating. And also, I think probably just even from the name alone, we were imagining maybe uh, a sort of Kyushu version of Khan, you know, mm-hmm. this kind of uh, cinema meets jazz hybrid cafe.
1: Yeah, yes, definitely something like that. And it's it's uh, it's kind of like, I I don't know if they live there, but you can imagine that they live in the back. It's got a wonderful sign um, up on the roof, a very, very large sign that says in both English and Japanese, Cinematheque, Jazz and Coffee, plus bar, with the very famous Columbia Records silhouette of Miles Davis blowing into his trumpet, where he's kind of leaning back. Um, anybody listening to this podcast knows that that <laughs> that drawing, that silhouette. Um, and so, you know, completely was a kind of a place that I, I think, Uh, would stand out for us uh, because, as we mentioned, you're not going to find these kind of very large houses like this in the Tokyo metro area. This is definitely something we've been finding in the regions over and over again. We've already talked about a couple of them. So I was was quite sad that we couldn't get in. And then do you remember after that, and I don't think people are going to believe us because anyone who's visited or lived in Japan knows the frequency of the amount of places you can eat and drink. I think per by density-wise, they might have more licensed eateries and drinkeries than anywhere in the world. And yet we drove around Saga, leaving Cinematech, and we couldn't find a single place to eat. There was literally nothing open. We couldn't even find a fast food joint.
0: Yeah, it was, it was bizarre. It was like, you know, it was like we were missing something because, like you say, you know, I'm just looking there, there's like 200,000 people live in this city. And, you know, you can't, turn around in Japan without falling over somewhere to eat and yet we just couldn't find anywhere and we were probably a bit frustrated as well because you know it's that it's always that thing where like do I just eat because uh, I'm really hungry or do I just push through the hunger and and find somewhere that I actually want to spend money and eat in and we'd also uh, been to another place in Saga after cinematech called Rondo and we discovered then unfortunately that it was open but only from 6pm and again you know we had some other places on the list that day and the distances being what they were it wasn't really practical to drive to them towards Fukuoka and then head back just for this one Rondo place that was definitely the day that you spent looking in through windows and doorways because <laughs> yes, you, you, we did go to Rondo we parked across we did, the street you had a quick look in and, yeah. and thought it looked great but we just didn't did have the well, time you, so.
1: do you remember the sign um, the sign was just was uh, really striking it's yeah. it's um it's a uh, almost I don't know it's it's like half of the size of a of one story up to the second story of these hands on a piano it looks like a blown-up photograph but it's it's gigantic it's got to be several meters wide and a couple meters high with a light shining on it it's it's a beautiful sign, and a pretty famous bar. Um, Obviously, the second Rondo that we've heard about, the first, definitely less famous than one we talked about in Sapporo, but this Rondo is is well-known. I know people who've been there Um, and so, you know, it was kind of a shame that I I was thinking maybe we could catch the guy as he was setting up, you know, I think we've done Mm -hmm. that a few times and, you know, he's maybe getting the deliveries in or whatever. And we just be like, oh, you know, sorry, we're just passing through. Can we just come in and talk to you, take some pictures? And that's worked a couple of times in the past, but no, no sign of anyone inside. And, and we just couldn't spare the time to, to wait for them, unfortunately.
0: There's a couple of great pictures on, uh, a couple on Twitter uh, and one on Facebook as well of the owner. He looks like a fairly dapper gent, uh, got uh, got the uh, sleeveless vest on, nice red tie, a nice freshly pressed shirt. Uh, so it's obviously still going strong at the moment anyway. Um, and uh, yeah, what a shame. I mean, but, you know, like you say, we'd been incredibly successful to that point and I suppose also you know sometimes this is just the way of it I think what was more frustrating about it than anything is of course that you know if that was in Tokyo or somewhere around that region we would just take the hit and decide right well we'll come back another day but of course unfortunately when you've gone this far and you've flown down uh, to Kyushu it's not possible just to nip back in the same way and and so you have to kind of take that disappointment um you know when it comes looking at the photos of the interior you know it does look like a pretty old school place Mm, uh, and beautifully kept uh, and decked out so hopefully if we do make it back down there uh, we'll make sure that we figure in the evening opening hours for Rondo uh, and get to it as well so we gave up in the end on the food didn't we Um, and decided just to push through the hunger uh, because we were heading for a place called Kurume. This podcast was produced and created by Philip Arneal and James Catchpole of the Tokyo Jazz Joints Project. Thanks to Brian of Grooves Ahead for audio assistance and also to Louis Elastic for our theme music.